morning. Let us remember the words of Psalm 118, 22 to 24. The same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. A compassionate God. The call that we, I prayed a few minutes ago prayed for the Lord to give us the spirit to think which is always the first item that has to happen before anything does we have to think about what we're going to do although sometimes it's subconscious I guess give us the spirit to think and do always those things that are right I think you could then substitute those things that are righteous and just because we cannot exist without you may you be enabled to live may we be may we be enabled to live according to your will so may the Lord do that today and each day as we go onward reading the story of Jonah I was reminded once again of the compassion of the Lord so what I'm going to be looking at today is uh, that a, another verse from Jonah that wasn't in the reading and some other passages actually in the ESV standard of the Bible the ESV version of the Bible uh, the word compassion appears 43 times in the Old Testament and sometimes in the Old Testament it's used to describe God as a compassionate God and sometimes it's used to describe situations where there is no compassion either by the characters in the narrative or else even sometimes when God does not show compassion in this, as the scripture reads in the New Testament the word appears 13 times and it's always when compassion is shown abundantly. Uh, in the passage from Jonah I'm not going to reread what Brian read but in chapter 4 verse 2 it says when Jonah's having this conversation with God and he's angry because he says I the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place and preach and prophesy was he says I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster and that word steadfast love as I preached a few weeks ago is the Hebrew word hesed but it Jonah knew God he knew what God was like and he knew if he went to this pagan city and prophesied that God was going to destroy them all that if they listened to his words and if they believed his words and became contrite and repented of the hardness of their hearts that God would hear their cries and forgive them forgive their sin and heal their land and he didn't like them he didn't want them to be saved so but he knew God and he knew God was a compassionate God even in the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai 
God describes himself as being compassionate. In Exodus 22, verses 22 to 28, If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So in the midst of giving all of the rules and rituals and the law, God in, interjects just in case you wonder, I'm compassionate. That's who he is. That's what he's like. And then there's that neat story in Second Kings when the prophet Elisha died. Second Kings 13 verses 20 to 23. It says, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them, and had compassion on them and he he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and would not destroy them nor has he cast them from his presence until now I just read the part about Elijah because that's a really cool story but it, that is in the context of the following statement about God God is gracious them he had compassion on them and he turned toward them I don't think you can find a scripture that tells God tell about God turning away from somebody and I know there's that one passage I think it's in Habakkuk that says God won't look upon sin but if you read that entire prophecy it ends up talking about the compassion and mercy of God and then you know, we've heard it preached that God, when Jesus was on the cross, that God looked away. But when Jesus quoted, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. If you read the whole Psalm, it ends up talking about God's grace and mercy and love. So, um, anyway, God is a God of compassion, and He turned toward them because of His covenant, would not destroy them. And, would not cast them from his presence. This is the God who has redeemed us. He is the God whose posture is a posture of grace. He is the one who has promised to never leave or forsake us. His face is always toward us, even when we're in rebellion. Now, I remember hearing sermons, and I'm sure you have too, about how God cannot look upon sin and and that that's why Jesus had to come because Jesus is our covering but I think that's questionable theology we won't get into that today but I'm, I'm convinced that God's posture is a posture where his face is always toward us and he is with us even in the midst of our rebellion he doesn't leave us but is with us Psalm 103 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his he made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 8, Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Again, that's that word, hesed, in the, in the Hebrew. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love, his steadfast love, hesed, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. I think we could even substitute frame. For he knows our name. He remembers that we are dust. As, as for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, on his righteousness, to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's, there's not one ring that rules them all, but there is one king that rules them all. and one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's Psalm 103. The 55th chapter of Isaiah has a subtitle in the English Standard Version the compassion of the Lord we sang these words this morning in one of the songs come everyone who thirst come to the waters and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price I've, I just recently heard Another, a teacher say instead of buy you could substitute the word receive come receive wine and milk without money and without price why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy listen diligently to me and eat what is good delight yourself in rich food incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David behold I have made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples behold you shall call a nation that you do not know 
and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to him that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up to Cyprus, instead of the briar shall come up to Myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's uh, chapter 55 of Isaiah. The compassion of the Lord. The, the Lord who tells all to come all to come and receive wine and milk without money and without price to incline our ear to him to listen and hear his words that our soul may live who raised up David to be king as a sign before all the nations pleads with the nation of Israel to seek the Lord while he may be found to call upon him while he is near and let him return to him that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon that is that is the posture of God that is his his position toward us to abundantly pardon to extend mercy to pour grace out upon us and I think in this modern society uh, mechanized uh, distributed uh, consumerist culture in which we live versus like the rain comes down and waters the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving sowed seed to the sower and bread to the eater loses its impact upon us we don't have that direct connection between the necessity of the rain during the growing season in order for us to not starve next year and our families starve but in an agrarian culture and even now today in many parts of the world a drought is really really bad news because they're even in PNG where, where Jeremy and Candy lived for a couple of years they had a drought while over there and the, and the families got Barely, uh, you know, barely getting by, barely finding enough food to feed their, feed themselves and their families. But 
even for the food that we're able to go to the store and purchase we need to recognize that that's another sign of God's grace and compassion and faithfulness to us his provision to us so that brings us to Micah that uh, book of prophecy uh, toward the back of the Old Testament I love this passage I never really studied Micah in detail but this is one verse I've often read and often heard taught and quoted chapter 6 verse 8 but I still have a whole lot to learn about it but now I understand that chapters 6 and 7 the last two chapters of the book of Micah are a an, an allegory of a, a courtroom or a law it's actually a lawsuit and in fact in my open study bible the in the book outline in the study notes where it has the outline of all the chapters and the different verses uh, with head settings and subheadings uh, the major d- division for that last section of those last two chapters of the book is the lawsuit of God and Micah 6 1 opens with hear now what the Lord is saying arise plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice and it kind of goes back and forth with the Lord stating the case of the Israelites and then him stating his charges against them for their unfaithfulness and like most of the writings in the Old Testament prophets, it's not an easy read. It's, it's not something you can skim through it like you would a modern day novel. In order to glean the truth it reveals, it requires some effort and some study. But that verse at the beginning of, of chapter 6, is verse 8, it, it kind of sums up the entire Old Testament or the the entire story of God really he has told you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God he has told you O man through his revelation through Abraham and Moses he has told you O man what is good and this is what God wants this is what he requires of us of anyone to do justice to love kindness and that that word kindness is the again the Hebrew word hesed and to walk humbly with your God so we are called to stand up when we see injustice to stand up for justice to take actions to to establish justice where there is not and to be kind hearted like the Lord is and to have a spirit of humility the father our perfect father in heaven desires his children to embrace and display the same characteristics that are his own he wants to see us as his children to to behave as he behaves to to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly 
Psalm 89, 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That's in Psalm 89, verse 14, not Micah. But anyway. Toward the end of chapter 7 and Micah, as it's coming to the close, uh, the next... The two of the last three verses of the book verses 18 and 19 who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love guess what that unchanging love is in Hebrew that's it he will again have compassion on us. <laughs> he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I don't necessarily feel a need to apologize but I do want to say forgive me if my constant harping on this theme of how good God is is causing your patience to wear thin or somehow annoying you or just boring to you I don't know how much longer it'll be the centerpiece of every sermon but when I read the scripture I see it when I listen to worship songs I hear it when I read the stories of Christians doing ministry, I witness it in action. The goodness of God. The goodness of God is what excites me. It, it wakes me up out of the stupor of the droning noise of life. The stupor that the droning noise of life puts me in. The goodness of God gives me hope. It stirs up. It gives me the hope that stirs up in me the will to keep going it gives me much to look forward to it's, it's like a healing ointment to the bruises and calluses that constantly appear in my heart it has reframed or reformed my understanding of the gospel and I am more and more convinced that this is the message the Holy Spirit has inspired for this time in history a message of beauty and goodness that's based upon the truth of the one revealed through the Holy Scripture. So get used to it. Expect the intensity to grow stronger. Allow the joy of hearing about the good news of a perfect Father in Heaven who knows us and loves us anyway. Stir up in you greater hope in your soul. He loves us now. He loved, loved us and loves us even when we're running away from Him. And he will continue to love us forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together and declare a common faith in the Nicene Creed.